Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. And I'm the leader for this meeting. Uh, our topic is uh, same-sex meetings. And uh, please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. This is a taped meeting in the spirit of the 12th step. Tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share, or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. Let's see. Um, this is a The topic of today's meeting is uh, same-sex meetings, and... Um, I'm going to uh, tell my story and then uh, open the meeting up for uh, for sharing. So again, my name is Scott R. and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Scott. And uh, it's an interesting topic for me. Um, I, you know, I'm definitely a low bottom sexaholic. Um, I um, I crossed a, a lot of boundaries in my um, in my disease. Um, and I think just to set the framework, I'll just tell you a little bit about my background and give you a little bit of history and then talk a little bit about what happened to me and, and, um, and where I'm at with my, my uh, recovery at this point. So, um, well, I think, um, I think a big impact for me was, uh, was a dysfunctional uh, environment growing up. Uh, I had a mother. Uh, who was a rageaholic and was also, um, in her disease, um, emotionally abusive, a little bit physically abusive, uh, definitely, um, a rageaholic, you know, somebody who just liked to yell and scream and, and create a, a hostile environment and, um, and not, not a nurturing, loving mother. I also had a workaholic father who was emotionally distant, so um, and 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 absent a lot of the time because of his workaholism. So uh, it was a it was a pretty toxic uh, environment growing up for me. And um, my um, and it, you know it relates to the topic of same sex meetings because the way I look at it, and I've been through years and years and years of therapy. Is that my, um, because I couldn't trust my mother and couldn't feel safe around her, my relationship with women became very difficult throughout my life. Um, you know, when my mother, who's supposed to be the one who takes care of me and nurtures me and, and shows me love and support is not there for me, I'm scared to death of women. And basically, that didn't take long to turn into objectification of women and acting out with women in an objectifying manner, which really is how my story progresses. So, um, so grew up in that environment um, as a um, teenager, got into, uh, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Um, and, and the sex for me was... Um, Chronic masturbation, uh, compulsive masturbation, pornography, um, voyeurism was a big part of my uh, acting out, um, and uh, a very um, difficult time establishing relationships, both with with men and women, but particularly with with women. I guess girls at the time, because of my age, um, and um, had a really, you know. I mean, I would date occasionally, but I never had any long-term intimate relationships with women. Um, 
my disease continued to progress, um, and I got married in my early 30s. And um, even that process, it took me years to overcome the fear that this woman that I would marry would be, uh, I'd be able to trust her, I'd be able to love her, I'd be able to feel safe with her. And um, I set, you know, some interesting goals for my marriage. I said, well, if I'm going to meet a woman who I want to marry, she's got to be loving, she's got to be nurturing, she's got to be, you know, all the things that my mother was not, you know, that was how I defined it. And I met my wife, and she um, supposedly fit those criteria for me. Um, and again, this was all, you know, I had to go to therapy for years and I had to just really overcome all these fears. And then I finally took the, the leap and, and got into the marriage. Um, but I really didn't get into the marriage because what happened was, you know, I kept my stash on the side during the marriage and continued with masturbation, continued with pornography, um, continued, um, uh, being voyeuristic with other women, objectifying other women. So I never really kind of fully committed to the marriage. Um, and that lasted the first eight, nine years of the marriage where I wasn't really fully in. And we had children uh, during that period. And um, something happened to me uh, about five, five years ago, actually more like six years ago, where I have, uh, I'm a business owner and, uh, my business, which had been doing very well, um, crashed. And, uh, it was at that time that I crossed some significant, uh, lines in my sexual addiction. Um, what was a kind of contained sexual acting out, um, uh, part of my life became much more voracious and much more uh, damaging. Um, I started uh, going to uh, strip clubs a lot more frequently, started uh, acting out with prostitution, started acting out in adult bookstores, um, and, and really started to cross what I'll say is line after line after line in my sexual addiction, um, leading a double life having my wife and my children and my business on one side and then on the other side I'm I'm doing these these horrible things um but we were, and really caught up in my disease um, the um turning point for me and how I got into recovery was um uh, I hit my bottom by taking the disease to you know as far as I could take it and not being able to stomach it anymore and um, essentially busted myself because my wife, as smart as she was, was in her own form of denial and was not able to um, see or was not willing to see what was going on with me. I had left a lot of breadcrumbs around. Uh, there were a lot of uh, pieces of evidence that had my wife really... Uh, woken up and, and decided to pursue that could have nailed me, you know, 30 different times in 30 different ways, whether it was looking at a credit card, uh, which had very strange, uh, charges on it, or really being more detailed about questioning me about my, uh, my behaviors, why I was coming home late at night smelling and reeking of alcohol, uh, why I was, um, uh, going on business trips that really, you know, she didn't have any information on, uh, or could have called and found out that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. You know, I was supposed to be in Chicago and I was in Jamaica, uh, or, or whatever. And, um, and so she didn't pick up on the cues. Um, so I, I busted myself. And the way I did that was, um, I, um, I, told her that I was um, uh, not a good boy and that I had done some things that were um, uh, very bad uh, for the marriage. And then I went to treatment uh, at a place called the Meadows out in Arizona for 35 days. And that was uh, uh, December of 2002. 
when I went to the meadows. Uh, it was in the meadows that, um, that I started to get sober. Um, I disclosed, my wife came out for a week, uh, to, uh, to hear the, um, the disclosure. And so, uh, she came out and, um, and I basically told her, uh, all of my indiscretions. Uh, she was, um, completely overwhelmed and completely, uh, you know, outraged at my behavior. And, um, it was in that time where some of the wives who had come out to hear disclosure said to their husbands, you know, get lost. Uh, we're not, you know, we're done. Uh, and for whatever reason, my wife said to me, I'll give you one more chance. If you, uh, stay sober, get sober and, and recover, I'll give you another shot. And so, um, so I have, uh, uh, extreme amount of gratitude for that particular moment where she said that to me and also for the course of treatment that I got, you know, at the Meadows. That was also where I was introduced to the 12 step program. Um, so, um, I started going to meetings. Uh, and it's also where this issue of same sex meetings came up because, um, there were women in the meetings, uh, where I was at the meadows and some of those women were quite triggering to me and I was very uncomfortable in meetings where there were other women and I can trace that back as I had said earlier in my story to the fact that you know my relationship with my mother and all my difficulties and all the objectification and you know being very early in recovery um, it was very challenging for me to be in a room with with other women in, in this in this addiction in this program, um, left treatment, came back, started going to meetings at home, and essentially the same thing happened. Um, I would go to meetings, and I was really trying out different meetings to see what would work for me. But I had committed to a ninety and ninety, so I wanted to go to a lot of meetings when I got home. And what I found was is that. Uh, in the beginning, I would go to meetings, and again, there would be women there that would be triggering to me, and I had a very difficult time um, being in those meetings. Um, I found myself getting caught up in my head. Uh, I found myself not being able to share authentically. Uh, I found myself censoring things that um, I wanted to say or not say, and I just didn't feel I could be completely honest, and uh, and I was very uncomfortable. What I decided to do, though, which I'm, I'm grateful for, is I said, well, then, you know, I need to find meetings where I'm comfortable. So I kept, you know, searching. And the reality was I left several meetings that I was uncomfortable with and, and would drive farther to find meetings where I was comfortable. Now, I'm fortunate because I live in the Philadelphia area, so there's a lot of meetings in Philadelphia. So if you if you go to a meeting that you don't like in Philadelphia, you, could, you can find another one which I'm grateful for. I know that that's probably not true in all areas, but in my area it was true. So I was able to leave, I think it was three or four different meetings and find three or four other meetings to replace the ones that, that weren't working for me. Um, I um, So I found those meetings. and And it's funny because even in those meetings, occasionally or more than occasionally, women would come to those meetings. And I would think, gosh, I just can't get away from this, you know. And and the only requirement to attend a meeting is, and we don't, in Philadelphia, there are no, like, definitions in the meeting list that say this is a men-only meeting or this is a women-only. We don't have that distinction. And I think, I don't know all the details, but I think intergroup or, or it was national or something, I don't think there is, maybe I'm wrong, some requirement that says you can set up a, a, a men-only meeting. Maybe maybe you can, but, but that's not the way it's set up in Philly. So women would still come to meetings, and I thought, you know what? You know, I could search and search and search, but I'm not going to find uh, what I'm looking for here. I need to be able to deal with the fact that women are going to be in my life, whether it's at a meeting or not at a meeting. Uh, I also go to OA. And I go to OA twice a week. Well, there was a men only OA meeting, but it doesn't exist anymore. 
So if I'm going to go to an OA meeting, there are going to be women in that room, and that's the way it is. So what I needed to come up with was how am I going to live in the real world, um, and how am I going to um, deal with women in meetings? You know, this is just my reality. So, um, so I've done a couple things, I guess, to kind of create um, safety for me in the rooms um, when, when women are there. Um, one is that um, I I need to change my attitude that a woman in the rooms or out of the rooms is is like a sister to me, uh, and I need to see a woman as a sister, not an object, not a sexual object, but she's my sister. Now the interesting thing for me is I didn't have sisters growing up. I had two brothers, um, who um, so. You know, that concept is taking me a while, and I'm still getting my arms around it about what actually a sister is. You know, what's a sister? Well, a sister is somebody who's, you know, a friend, somebody that you uh, you love, somebody that you trust, somebody that you um, respect. You know, all those qualities of a sister are how I have to view women in the rooms. Um, now, if she's triggering to me, because I have what I call my arousal template. And so there are some women that will walk into the room, I'm fine, doesn't bother me whatsoever. Have at it, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, sit wherever you want, I don't care, doesn't bother me. But then there are some women that will walk into the meeting, and I am, I'm off. I mean, it'll take 10 seconds, I can feel it, I don't even have to look. They could be uh, 20 feet across the room, and I know that there's an aura going on for me. I don't know what that is or what, what's going on, but that happens. So I still have to go the sister route, but then I gotta go even further with that woman. I gotta go, okay, this is, this woman is a mother. She's a daughter. She's a sister. You know, she's got, um, you know, a life. She's got a job. Whatever. You know, this is a human being over here. Back off. I gotta tell myself this. So that's um, that's how I look at that one. The other thing is is that um, if she is a, if she is a trigger and if she does meet my arousal uh, template, I got to come up with some other boundaries. So um, I will avoid eye contact typically with a woman that fits that mode for me. I got to not look at that person. I got to not try to establish eye contact. Um, I have to um, not sit near her, if at all possible, try to sit as far as away as I can, um, and I certainly need to not engage with her or talk to her. Uh, there are there have certainly been temptations where I thought, oh, she's in such pain, you know, I should go over and introduce myself and say hello, and then can I help you? Back off, Scott. You know, I do not engage you know, in that situation. I don't talk to that person. I don't try to socialize. I don't try to interact. And I'll see men go over to women like this after meetings or whatever. And, you know, and, and I think, you know what? God bless them. If they can handle that and manage that and they're comfortable with that, then let them have it. But I'm not, I'm just not at that place. Um, the other thing that's been really important for me in trying to deal with women in the rooms and out of the rooms is, um, is the relationship with my wife. Because a lot of my acting out was my unwillingness to humanize my wife. And I, I did a lot of damage to my wife, um, in my addiction by, uh, objectifying her, uh, in, 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 in many different ways. So, Part of my humanizing of women is me humanizing my wife. Now, we've been married for 14 years, and as I had stated earlier in my story, the first not, I'm, I'm sexually sober five years now and in recovery five years. So, but those first nine years, she was as much, if not more, an object to me than she was a human being. Um, and so now in the last five years, the more I humanize my wife and the more she becomes a friend and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, she's my wife. We're, we're intimate, but she also is a mother. Um, she's a daughter. She's a sister. Um, and I need to humanize her. And actually, she's probably the most challenging woman in my life to humanize, you know, because she's the one that pushes my buttons, uh, and, and, and causes me sometimes to not want to do that. 
you know, to, to default to that place of, you know, she's, she's just another, you know, like, you know, word to describe, you know, you, words that I used to use to describe women. So that's a, that's a really important, uh, boundary for me is, is to do that humanization. Um, so just to get current on where I'm at with my disease and my recovery and my addiction, then I'll open the meeting for sharing. Um, again, we're here for same-sex meetings and being comfortable in a same-sex meeting or not. Uh, or not. Um, and what I would just say now for me is um, I probably go to about five meetings a week. Uh, uh, most of those meetings are, are with men, but I do go, as I said, to, uh, to meetings where there are women and... Um, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable as long as I set my boundaries. Um, I make a lot of phone calls. Uh, almost all of those phone calls are with um, with men. I don't call women in the program. I don't ask to be called by women in the program. That's where I'm at in my recovery. I just don't feel safe with that. Um, if there's a sign-in sheet and, you, and they ask you to put your name and phone number down and there are women in the meeting, I typically do not write my phone number down. Um, I will put, um, I'll put my name and then I'll put either please ask or I'll put um, men only, that I'm available for men only. Um, and like I said, I go to OA where most of the attendees are women and I'll sign in in the We Care sheet, you know, men only, please ask. I won't put my phone number down. And the, the reason I did that is I learned from my mistake. In the beginning, I was putting my phone number down and I would get calls from women that I didn't need to be getting calls from. So, uh, and then I ended up not calling them back and that's an awkward situation because then I have to go up to them and explain, you know, well, I don't take call, you know, so I just decided not to put my phone number down. Um, what else is going on with me in my recovery? Um, you know, I'm doing step work. I don't sponsor women. Um, I don't, I don't have a woman sponsor. Um, not at that point. Maybe some people do that, but I've heard in AA, uh, men with men, women with women you know, in terms of sponsorship. So I, I feel that that's a good rule of thumb for me to keep following. Um, and I want to get to a point, to, to be honest with you, as time goes on, as I trust my wife more and as I get further along in recovery, where I can have healthy relationships with women, you know, plutonic, whatever you want to call them, where there's no intrigue going on, where there's no funny stuff. It's just, this is a sister, you know, I love her just like I love my brothers in the program. Um, and I'm getting, and, and there are certain women that I'm starting to feel that way with, you know, particularly in OA, not so much in SA, um, where I'm starting to develop that comfort level with, but it's taking, you know, a long time for me to get to that point. So, um, so I'm grateful to be able to share and, um, and I'd like to be able to open the meeting up for the rest of you to share. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks for sharing. So if you want to come up and uh, share, just come up to the microphone and uh, you can tell your story or, or whatever you're comfortable doing. Thanks, Joe. My name is Joe. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, Joe. I grew Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate the, uh, the lead. I came here to learn... Uh, <clears throat> about how to become, uh, quote, more comfortable uh, in meeting. This is the one meeting I didn't want to go to, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> if I've learned anything at the conference, I need to take the actions and do the things I don't want to do. Um, it's interesting. My my story, uh, and I'll, I'll keep it brief here, but I, you know, in terms of my, uh, my history, um, it's kind of like the other side of the coin. Um, my mother was, um, was not a rageaholic. She was, um, she was very loving, um, but she's also was very possessive. And instead of fearing her, I became enmeshed. So this is the opposite side of the coin of the, the whole fear and of being, of running away. I, all I could do was the, uh, all I was comfortable was being, you know, in her lap, if you will. So I didn't want to leave. Um, perfect, uh, so either way, it's perfect, perfect breeding grounds for someone to become a sexaholic. <laughs> so, and that's what happened. I mean, I, but as I, you know, as I, um, uh, 
my my story of course is that that's i became so much more comfortable with women you know and just to be around women to be connected to them to define myself by by the woman and not through my own means to take cues from them i am also codependent and uh, in recovery and in my acting out um, of course, uh, the objectification, though. I mean, the rest of the story is the same. The song remains the same. Uh, at age, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11, whatever, I started then, the objectification started, and I was indeed off to the races as well. Um, and <clears throat> the thing about this meeting that attracted me was the fact that I am indeed very uncomfortable. When I, I my home group in, in, uh, in Maryland, is um, a very large one, um, about 30 to 40 people on average. Um, I would say in a, maybe once every three or four months, there's a woman who shows up. So in that sense, it's not, you know, quote, bad, but it's like God saying to me, guess what? <laughs> you have another issue here because I'm very uncomfortable with women in meetings. Um, and I, and I'm thinking, why am I so, you know, this is crazy. This is like nuts. I'm, you know, doing fairly well in recovery and all. And then, and then I asked myself, that's, that's not true. There's something going on here. So I needed to accept that. I needed to say, what is happening here? What, what's going on? And, and, um, you know, it had a lot to do. And I, and I, as I enter and, and kind of leaving this, today's the last day of the conference. One of the things that I was able to do um, this weekend was to actually forgive my mom. After the sharing last night, after talking with some people, uh, I've had such a rough time in terms of sh- really having to forgive my mother in terms of the whole enmeshment piece and be- becoming her little man, if you will. And by by the grace of God, I feel as though I've, I've taken that, I've, I've asked to be able to give the receive the grace to forgive, and and I believe that this has happened. Um, not that this is going to make it perfect for me when a woman walks in the room, but I think there was a direct relationship between the anger and the rage toward my mother, in terms of having a woman in the room. So for me, forgiveness is going to be something that I need to do every single day, um, in terms of forgiving my. My mom and and not holding women hostage, if you will, in my head. Um, another thing that has worked for me, a sponsor told me, so one of the things you can do, of course, is to pray for them. You know, to and when my wife is in pain, um, I, I was the white knight. I was the guy that wanted to save the woman, of course. You know, and that's you know all the bad guys. You know, and of course I was the bad guy. You know, that was my that was my mo. But. Um, one of the things now that I that I do, particularly with my wife, when when she's in pain, that's when I would get crazy. I would get nuts. I can't handle this. I can't deal with my wife being in pain, or if she's detached from me, you know, that whole abandonment stuff would start coming up. So one of the things that I that I I did for her is to basically ask God to do for her what I cannot do for her, to 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 basically to heal her to take care of her. And I'll do that when a woman walks in a room now into a meeting. I'll ask God immediately. Um, thank you, God, for bringing this woman in this room. And please do for her what I cannot. You know, I want you to heal her because I cannot do that. I don't want to have to share something that I think impresses her. I don't want to have to try to do something different another than in terms of being who I am. Um, and I think that, and for me, um, it's making her a human being. You know, and that's, I'm also torn. So I'm in, so if I'm in a service position, then I feel obligated to walk up to a woman to say, welcome, <laughs> and, and et cetera, et cetera. This is an essay meeting. Uh, and I have done that. And one time a woman, <laughs> I walked up to her, I was a secretary and I walked up and, um, a woman walks in and sits down and I had never seen her before at this meeting. And of course I made the assumption she was, she must be in the wrong meeting. Um, so I walked up and I very urgently and, uh, and with this earnest look on my face, like, you know, gee, I'm going to help you by telling you you're in the wrong place. And you know, the rest of the story, she looked at me and like, and she said right to my face, she says, I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> and that just about, of course, floored me. I'm thinking, 
welcome. <laughs> That's all I could say was welcome. <laughs> I went back and sat down. I'm thinking, well, thank you. Know, there's another message for me. So bottom line is, is that um, I'm still uncomfortable with women in meetings, but I really appreciate the, the, um, you know, the, the guidelines, you know, the, the rules that you, you listed in terms of the, or the boundaries. That's very helpful for me. Um, there are certain women that walk in. I have no, absolutely, and there's no trigger there, but you're right. I don't even have to look. I can be closing my eyes and all of a sudden something's different. And it's like in a sexaholic can spot, you know, a woman 10 miles away. If she's walking down a block, you know, we all know that that happens. And that's what happens in a meeting. So um, I'm blessed today by by coming to this meeting and listening and, again, doing what I, I didn't want to do. Uh, and I need to take the actions and pray for women when I don't want to pray for them. And and asking them in terms of seeing them as a sister, you know, a, a fellow traveler on this journey uh, that we're all on is also very helpful. That's a great that's a great image for me um, because I know that um, that they must be she must be hurting very very much uh, just like I was. So um, that's my story, and I'll keep coming back. Thanks. Hi, good, uh, good morning. My name is Shia. I'm a lost in sex addict. Um, it, this is actually my fourth, uh, fourth convention. Um, I'm over two years already in, in, in the program. But unfortunately, uh, as everybody knows, that half measures doesn't count. I probably also didn't took all the action. I hope from now on, um, I'm sober only 15 days, but uh, I, I had already six months, and then I had already uh, three months, six months, four months, basically uh, up and downs. Um, from all the from all the speakers here, I heard a lot of a lot of tools that I didn't talk like to have a, sp- a sponsor and to call him every day, not to have a sponsor and not calling. And then uh, go a lot to meetings instead of going only two minutes a week. I should go more, and then use more the phone. All the, all the all the tools. Basically, my story is I'm I'm bisexual. I I used to go a lot to a lot to strip bars. Um, uh, teenager boys. I, I molested teenager boys a lot, and uh, and 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 masturbation basically. That's my that's my main emos. Um, uh, starting, I'm going back since I was age of uh, 13, 14. That age, I, I, I mean, uh, since since actually I was a kid, about the age of eight, ten, I remember touching myself a lot. But then then it got uh, the disease got uh, was aggressive more when I was age 13, 14, 15. Then I start. Having with my friends, and I started going after younger boys, and and then I was age of 17, 18. I was always thinking next year it's gonna stop. I mean, I'm old enough; it should stop. But unfortunately, the if you don't know you, that you're sick and your addiction gets gets per get per, uh, per progressive all the time. And then uh, I was thinking when I when I'm gonna get married, it's gonna it's gonna end. Once I'm married, it's finished. And uh, I mean, I have the solution. But uh, fortunately, it didn't uh, work for a few months, uh, half year maybe. Then I had my f- my first child, um, didn't stop. Then I had my second one, didn't stop. And then I have my second one has a hearing problem also. He was diagnosed with hearing loss. And uh, we have to go, we have to make him like, uh, it was age of, he was eight months, then it was finally diagnosed that that is hearing, that is deaf or 96% deaf. But then I have to move from Canada to New York to do him a surgery. So to all this back and forth in the hospital wasn't helping me. My marriage was not a good marriage either. I have a lot of fights. Accordingly, basically because my body was home, but my head was not home. I'm thinking that that was 60% the problem. And... Uh, then I moved to New York. Then I had my, my my third child. After after a break of a few years, we have my third one. Then after that, I have my fourth one. And then it started. Then after the fourth one, a half year later, 
um i was i had a story i was in uh, i was in a hotel for for a passover and and i i uh, i touched uh, somebody there and i got uh, i was i was being thrown out in the middle of holidays with my wife and my kids uh, from that hotel and uh, was uh, then i knew that i had a problem i mean i i was the, the owner from the hotel told me that uh, if you don't go out i'm i'm, I'm calling the cops so basically, I knew that I'm in big trouble, so I left the hotel. And and uh, of course, I was uh, I was lying to my wife because uh, she was asking me why why we're leaving. So I I, I denied and lying. I was telling that uh, somebody hit my child, whatever, and had a fight. So the manager didn't want that uh, that I should stay in the hotel and that my kid should play with them, whatever. So I don't know if, if if she believed me then, but after after half year, uh, half year later was another story. Uh, I touched somebody else in the street, and I got I got uh, beaten up from the community, and uh, and they and, and then my wife would f- found out from me because I, I I couldn't I couldn't manage anymore the, all the lies and all this thing. So I told her the truth and I was crying a lot and uh, told her I have a problem whatever. So a week later she left me. I mean, we were separated. And, uh, and to fix back the, 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 them, you know, fixing back is very hard. So we tried over the, uh, one, a year and a half to, to get, to get along, to have a settlement, something, but it didn't work, unfortunately. So after two years we got a divorce. I mean, I divorced her and she was asking for a divorce. Divorced her. I'm, I'm already over a year divorced. I mean, she's, she's already remarried with somebody else. I see my kids, thanks God that I see them every week and have, have a connection with them. And, and, and I love them and they love me. Um, so the main thing is that, uh, I learned a lot in, uh, in, in the past. And then I, and then I, I went, I went a lot to therapies. I mean, I'm still going to therapy once a week and, uh, so I, I'm I'm being teached, I'm being learned that I have a disease as as if somebody has a, has diabetes or any 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 other disease, any other uh, uh, not healthy thing that it has. You have to take the medication. You have to do whatever you have to do to get to, to get sober. So this is what I'm trying to do, and I hope I'm I'm on the right track. I hope that I heard enough that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I hit a rock, a lot of people say that I didn't hit a rock bottom to get sober. But I, I think I hit a rock bottom big time. And with all these stories, I mean, everybody in my community knew that, 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 that I mean, the, the, the place that I used to live and I moved away because uh, everybody knew my story. So it's not... Uh, it's not it's it's not a good name. I mean, I don't have a good name out there. So basically, I, I hit the rock bottom, and I, I hope that, uh, that that I should remember the main the problem from a from this disease is also that you keep you keep forgetting all the all the drama that you went through, and you keep going back and you want to get at the lightness. So you, you wanna you don't see any way out there uh, instead of so you have to do something, you have to act out. But it's not the solution because it's, it doesn't help anything. It's just you just get your life more and more miserable if you do this type of stuff and and uh, and we have to um, we have to acknowledge that we have a problem and and uh, hope I have it clear and I have to do all these things that we have to do like praying and listen to cassettes reading and and and, and learn from everybody everybody has somebody some something that that I that I don't know and to be teach uh, teachable and not sure I have a lesson from from all this to, that uh, I'm enough old to, to understand that that it's that it's a that's a major major problem. I mean, people uh, people yeah people people sit to in uh, people can sit in jail for this type of problem. So I'm happy I'm here and I'm, I'm uh, thank God that I'm that I found this, this this program and I have a lot of friends and uh, I'm I'm gonna keep coming back. Thank you. My name is John, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, the um, uh, j- just in in uh, uh, with the topic um, of same sex meetings, um, the um, um, 
I, I guess when I found the 12 step program, I, I was, um, used to, um, uh, being in small groups in my community of faith and, and they had always done same sex meetings. Um, and so it was a little bit, um, um, I would just say awkward, um, um, to, uh, come into, um, a, um, um, to, 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 a mix, mix meetings and, um, and, and, you know, the, um, the ironic thing is, is that, you know, my, my acting out was same sex, but the, the awkwardness for me, um, in being in mixed company and groups was that, um, you know, I, um, um, I, my, my hope was to, was, was always to get married and to have children and, um, the, um, the, the, the challenge was, um, more in, in kind of like the pottering, like how, how do I present myself, um, um, to, to the opposite sex, um, um, in, in such a light that, um, that I would be, um, um, considered acceptable. Um, the, um, I'll, I'll just kind of lay out a, a little bit of, um, 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 how, um, um, how, how kind of, uh, I, I had to, to, um, encounter an awkward situation and I still, um, um, am processing how to, um, how, how to necessarily, um, uh, react to it. Um, cause it, it does, um, present some problems, um, uh, or, or just some challenges. Um, um, I, um, was attending a Friday night meeting and, um, um, after a few months going there, I, um, uh, or more than a few months, but after, um, eventually I decided to, um, follow the, uh, the guidelines of, of getting a sponsor. And so I, I got a secured a sponsor and, um, we began working the steps and, um, uh, the, um, it, 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 it became clear that it, it wasn't, um, it, it, it wasn't gonna, um, um, uh, work, um, um, our sponsorship for, for various reasons. And, um, um, and so, um, um, I, uh, I sought out, a, a, a an alternative sponsor and my, my alternative sponsor, he, he laid out a few things he'd like me to do for my program, which was to, um, to go to other meetings. And, um, the, the interesting thing is when I, um, um, I, um, my, my first sponsor, I, I, w- was still friends with, um, um, and, um, I'd been over to his house and, um, met, met his wife and his child. Well, the, um, the, the, the next sponsor, when he challenged me to go to other meetings, um, the, the awkwardness, uh, came when, um, when, um, when, when I went to the, the alternate meetings and, and there, um, his wife was at the, uh, the Sunday meeting. And so, um, um, here I'm, I'm now confronted with, um, um, uh, you know, hearing, hearing her story and, um, and, and then so in my encounters, um, you know, later going over to his place for, to watch a football game or something like that, um, you know, um, uh, the, the awkwardness came about was because, cause I knew things about his wife that, 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 um, that, that she, you know, obviously, um, uh, was following the white book and, and choosing not to disclose. And so, um, so, so it, it's, um, it's presented itself as just a, a little bit of an awkward situation. Um, um, but, um, in, in following the, um, the, the guidelines of, um, um, I, um, I try to, um, the way I try to handle it is, um, I, I choose to, um, to, to mainly engage in conversation, um, uh, over the phone with, 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 um, with, with the guy that was my sponsor. And, um, um, if, um, if I call the house and his wife is there, I'll, I'll be pleasant. And, but, um, I, um, um, I choose to, to focus my, my main relationship with, um, um, with, with him and, um, and, and engage in just, um, pleasantries with, um, um, with, with his wife. And, um, um, I, I guess it's, um, the, the, um, the main takeaway from today's meeting is, um, 
um, as Scott is uh, alluded to, is um, j- just um, it, it's been a little bit easier for me to view view her as a wife because because I see outside the meeting, I see her in in that light, and um, that, that's the main takeaway that I think um, I'll, I'll take away from this meeting is that um, I need to approach um, any any women at meetings in the same manner because um because I believe that um I believe I have a very good relationship with this couple and um um I I want to um I I want to honor that with any other women that come to the meetings. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Sure, I'll share. Let me just ask um, clarify the topic. It's same sex yeah, it's people who uh, same-sex attraction. Or, or no, not same-sex attraction. It's okay. people who are prefer to be in meetings with just just men. In, 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 uh, reasons. I got nothing to say on that. Okay, <laughs> not a problem. Yeah. Okay, you're welcome to just share whatever you want to share. That the uh, whatever's up on your top plate, let's say top plate. Whatever's okay. going on Fine. for you. It's well, okay. I'm a, not, I can uh, relate to 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 uh, what, what what this gentleman gentleman had to say. The, the name is John, grateful recovering sexaholic. And, uh, the, I, f- I appreciate the opportunity to join the uh, meeting, uh, late. And, uh, the, the reason I ask about same-sex attraction is because that, that is, uh, my, my attraction. I've been attracted uh, toward males since the get-go, fr- uh, from, uh, literally, uh, and the, uh, was engaged in sexual uh, activities uh with older boys uh, before I went through puberty so it's just you know grew, grew on from there but by the same token uh uh I did get married and I couldn't figure this one out and why would I want to get married and and how could I put I couldn't put the, the two together and and uh, uh ended up uh getting married nonetheless and the, without disclosing to my wife at the time, in the 50s, we didn't talk about those kinds of things. Uh, the, uh, um, and, uh, have two children, but by the same token, uh, my wife, what in, I made disclosure in, in 2001, and, you know, she participated in Essanon, and she has her own 12-step program, and we have participated in other 12-step programs as well because of stuff going on in our family. So um, what's beautiful about SA to me, and something I greatly appreciate, is the fact that uh, I can come into the rooms and share who I am, my background, what I've done, uh, and uh, I, I've never... Uh, been condemned, uh, uh, judged for same-sex activity. You know, what a Shonda, you know, what kind of a person are you? Da, 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 da. Uh, the, uh, and, and that has been very liberating, uh, to, uh, experience. Uh, so that, uh, um, I can focus on really what are my issues and, uh, numerous character defects. The, uh, I came because to essay because I was concerned about I was acting out with with, with men and and, and uh, the uh, this was you know uh, uh, pulling me apart just ripping me apart spiritually and and uh, but I I stayed because of, of the fact that there's much more to essay than just you know trying to deal with a little bit of sexual behavior that 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 is inconvenient or um, whatever bothersome uh, the uh, and the uh, um, the strength of the program is 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 that it it helps me to focus on what are the real issues and and what's driving the the sexual behavior and uh, uh, and uh, what kind of a person am I and just being who I am and being in my own skin. Uh, I am who I am. I am what you see. What you see is what you get. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, the spiritual aspect of the program has been very important for me. Uh, and I didn't have a, a spiritual life before coming in, into essay and, and, uh, the uh, development. In fact, I couldn't even 
talk about the G word, you know, uh, th- that was difficult and, and o- over time I've become much more comfortable with my own spirituality, which I ignored for all these many years and, 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 uh, um, have, uh, enjoyed that part, learning about that part of myself as well. So thanks for listening. listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.